This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. You're locked on Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's Brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well, at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. All right, Maple Leafs falling to the Montreal Canadiens by a score of 2-1 to one in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Not a outcome I was expecting going into today. And to join me to chat about the game is none other than our man, Tony Ferrari. Tony, welcome back to the pod, first and foremost. And second of all, ugh. Oh, Leafs playoff hockey is back, baby. This is what we all wanted. Oh, come on, Mikey. Get excited. Man, like legitimately, I, I actually thought this year was going to be different. I really <laughs> did. And I'm, I'm trying to stay as rational as possible. It's, it's one game. And, I mean, we'll obviously get to everything about tonight. But I can't help but feel like uh, after tonight's game, it just has me a little bit glum much the way that I have felt over the last, I don't know, couple decades of being a Leaf fan during the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was some kind of game, man. Like, w- with everything that happened early in the game with Tavares, which we'll, pro- we'll get to in a few minutes, but it, it just felt like the whole game was kind of a, a drag. And I, I know you and I were messaging about it earlier, but about the fans really bring something to those games in the States that we we'd seen so far. And in... in I I, th- I think I said to you, I'm like, I think Montreal and Toronto will be able to get the vibe up. Like, they'll be able to get the energy going. And it, it just wasn't there still. And and I don't know, like, this this was a playoff game. But it still it didn't feel like some of the other playoff games we'd watched. No, it, it didn't. And, you know, last night's Edmonton-Winnipeg game didn't either. And it's, we like, starting to understand when people say, like, the fans are everything. The fans give us all this energy. It somewhat seemed just like kind of, just posturing just something that they say as pro athletes but I'm I think we're starting to understand that it's it's true the fans do like the players do feed off the energy of the players and uh, the fans are, are kind of a lot more important to the game than maybe you know we otherwise thought yeah it, it was it, it's an kind of weird situation because we're seeing the the two extremes right now we're seeing buildings almost packed in the states and then we're seeing the canadian division where it's still the silence we've we've dealt with all year in the in the regular season yeah uh let's let's get to the game but obviously the the first thing that we got to talk about is john Tavares um left the game with a with an injury after taking a knee to the head uh, Corey Perry inadvertently I, I I will add I believe that this was obviously an, an inadvertent um, situation I don't believe he meant any type of of intent Tavares was you know got hit and then was kind of following through on on just turning over and went to go and stand up and Corey Perry just happened to be skating the other way seemed like he tried to avoid it but uh, wasn't able to do so but regardless, John Tavares, a really, really scary scene. And the part that got me, and I know it got everybody else, is 
he was motionless down on the ground, but then when he tried to get up, fell backwards, knees just buckled, and it seemed like you saw like a little bit of blood trickling down his face. It was just a, a, a absolute, uh, very, very unsettling situation. Yeah, it, it was really unfortunate. And when I initially saw it happen and, and who it was that hit him, I, there was that initial like, oh, man, he had to have been doing it on purpose. That's Corey Perry. That's what he does. But the more I watched it, the less I, I thought that. And, and I mean, you, you watch it now and you see it and you're like, I, I think it's just like you said, an, an inadvertent play. And, and then, like you said, the, the real scary part was when he was down and, and he sat back up. And, and I've had I've had some some issues with with uh, a neck injury in the past. And um, I, I've actually had bouts of passing out like that. And I remember people telling me that that's exactly how it looked when I passed out. So seeing seeing that and, and knowing my history of neck injuries and stuff like it was really, really scary because he was clearly concussed. He was clearly not super aware of what was going on. And I mean, thankfully after the game, Sheldon Keith had said he was conscious and communicating well. So that's a good sign, but man, he's going to be in hospital tonight and in further testing and everything. But uh, I mean, my thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family and just hopefully he can recover soon. Absolutely. Um, you know, well wishes to the Tavares family. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a big loss. Like he's, he's the captain of this team, but Obviously, uh, it it doesn't look like after what we just saw, it doesn't look like he's going to be playing hockey anytime soon, um, at the very least. After after the fight, or, or after afterwards, there was a fight. Um, Nick Foligno dropping the mitts with Corey Perry. What were your thoughts on this? It seemed like there was a little bit of division online about whether or not that fight should have happened. Where did you where do you land on that conversation? it's a weird one for me because I, I felt like when it happened, I, I was still in the heat of the moment and I felt like, okay, I, I understand it. I'm fine with it. Like Felino is doing what he's supposed to do. He's following the code. And I've never been a guy that really like is someone that promotes the code. I've never, I've always thought the code is pretty stupid in, in most incidences. And in, in the more I look at this situation, the more I'm on the side of, he probably shouldn't have fought him because even after the game, he, there were some quotes that came out where Felino had said, our captain was lying on the ice. They would have done the same thing if they, it was their captain. The hit wasn't malicious. The fight takes away the gray area. Perry is a big boy. It just allows everyone to go back out and play. And you hear him say, like, the fight, the, the hit wasn't malicious. He, you tell, he was saying that he knew it wasn't on purpose, but he just had to fight. And, and for me, it was just like – We've already seen the one injury. Do we really even need to risk the second one when you know he, it's not something he was doing maliciously? He, was, he wasn't out there headhunting. He wasn't out there hitting somebody like Matt Cook or anything we used to. It was a complete inc- accident. and I, I mean, unfortunately, it was Corey Perry, so there, there's going to be that initial vitriol with him. But I think it was kind of a – like you said, it, it, there's a gray area online, and I think everyone's kind of got their own side. And I, I, I understand both, and, but I don't know exactly where I sit myself. Um, I, I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't see a need for it. Um, to me, like you said, it, it was not malicious. And even Felino said like, it didn't seem malicious, but seemed like something he just had to do. And I, I don't know, it just, it was a little uneasy. And then even like during the fight, like Corey Perry just took it. Like he didn't yeah. even swing a punch. He was just like, yeah, all right. It's something that you got to do you got to do it, go for it. But like, I'm not going to fight back. Like he would seem like he was still in shock about what had just happened. And uh, it didn't seem like a fight was something that he was really looking for. Um, and just like took blows and Felino was, I mean, I don't think Felino was going like all out either, 
um, but definitely got a couple of licks in. It just all around, it was a really weird kind of eerie type fight um, that to me probably you didn't need, uh, in my opinion. That being said, I think it was Kelly Rudy who at the intermission came out and said, look, we're watching this as fans and we're watching it you know, not on the ice. We're seeing replays. For someone down there on the ice like Felino, who may not have even seen the play exactly how it unfolded, just kind of saw that Corey Perry, who is, you know, a known dirty player, hit his captain and is motionless and just got stretchered off the ice. Like that, in his mind, meant, okay, I got to do something about this. Maybe in hindsight, and it doesn't sound like even in hindsight, after seeing the play, maybe he, he doesn't regret what he did, but it did make me understand a little bit more Felino's perspective and why he felt the need to, to drop the gloves. Yeah. And that's just it. It's, it's one of those things where, like I said, do you really want to go out there and even risk another injury after what you just saw? And, and like you said, Corey Perry wasn't fighting back. He didn't want to, he didn't want no, nothing to do with the fight. So it, I understand where Felino's coming from, but it, it's really hard to really, be super stoked about that fight because you just watch someone laying motionless on the ice and, and you have two guys throwing fists and, and especially when it was an accident, just seemed kind of pointless. And like, it really kind of took the sales out a little bit for the remainder yeah. of that period. Like Toronto was on their heels, the rest of the first and Montreal scored shortly after the whole incident and, and Toronto really just, they just needed to get to the intermission to try and regroup, which I think they did. They came out a little bit uh, stronger and more prepared in the second. It was definitely um, Toronto was playing a little bit better throughout the rest of the game than they were in the latter half of that, that first period. But yeah, just a, a real tough, tough situation all around. Um, you know, wish nothing but the best to, to John Tavares. Hopefully it's not as serious as it looked, but uh, you know, it, it, it didn't look great. It definitely didn't look great. And, like, again, we talked about the fans. The fact that there was no one in the building, too, it just made it so quiet and eerie. And it kind of reminded me of, remember last year when Jake Muzzin um, got yeah. hurt at the end of, what was it, game three or four? Um, where, like, kind of the same thing. It was like he got stretchered off and everyone's just kind of hovering around. It is super, super silent and eerie. There's no fans for for – the camera to like pan to, to get off of the injured player. That's kind of all that they could do was, was have the, you know, face on the, the, on John Tavares. It's just, it, it was a very unsettling situation for everyone involved. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Like it was that, like you said, the thing I didn't even think about is, is the fans not being there to pan to for something like this, because yeah, it's, it's one of the situations where you generally don't want to be watching them stretch him off. You don't want to be watching him, fold back like he did like that's not something that, that you generally want to see on tv and in the average hockey fans probably like, they were sick to their stomach i know i was i'm sure you were like it, it wasn't something i think anyone enjoyed watching and they just had to show it because there was nothing else i mean they could have cut to a commercial or something but in a moment like that it's not really like the easiest thing to just go and do so it, it's such an eerie like, like you said eerie is probably the perfect word for the entire situation yeah um, all right, let's uh, let's move on here and, and talk about the game uh, that was actually played, I guess, after the incident. Toronto loses 2-1 to one in Game 1. They trail the series 1 to nothing. But uh, your thoughts and impressions overall on, uh, on Game 1? Uh, it was a weird one. I think, th- I think the Leafs were the better team for the most part in the game, especially that second period. I thought they really carried play there. 
the first period, like you said, they, they kind of got filled in after the, the Tavares injury and everyone seemed in shock. I mean, you look on the bench and Matthews is shaking his head. He looks clearly distraught. Uh, Nylander, Marner, same thing. Joe Thornton's right down there with Tavares trying to talk to him, trying to just get him conscious or w- whatever he was doing. But like, you, you could tell the team was shooken up and, and Wayne Simmons in the, in the intermission, he, he was clearly shaken up too. So it, it, good on them for coming out in the second period. And like I said, I think that was their best period. And I, I they, they had a good third period, but they, they weren't getting the volume of shots on net that they needed to do. And, and then the power play just continues to just, just be so bad. So, so bad. And I, I saw a stat today where since the Edmonton sweep there, when, when the Leafs were riding really high, they have allowed six goals on the power play and they have scored six goals on the power play. So they're a net zero on the power play since that Edmonton series. And that's just a terrifying thought because that means they've both been terrible in terms of scoring goals and terrible in terms of allowing short-handed goals. So, I mean, it's, it's a rough stretch and that power play needs to figure something out. Oh, do they ever like that's, I saw a stat earlier reminiscent to that, but you know, since that stretch, like that, that's a long time ago. And the fact that they've only scored six power play goals since then is very unsettling in a, in a different way than, you know, the earlier situation, but like it, it is extremely unsettling for Toronto, who has an outstanding group of players. Like the offense is there. They were like firing on all cylinders early in the season at like a historic rate through the first dozen or so games of the season. But like you said, since about the midway mark, they have been ice, ice, ice cold. And I thought maybe, you know, the fact that they had basically a week uh, almost a, almost an entire week between games where um, they had a chance to to practice and and maybe implement some new uh, some new little wrinkles to the power play, which I think it was a little different. Uh, I, I'll say this, and I thought like aesthetically, the first couple of power plays did look a little better. Um, I liked the placement of of Matthews more as a, as a shooter in like that Ovechkin type role, where kind of just hovered in the dot and. I mean, you saw it on that first power play. He rifled off like four or five shots, um, didn't all hit the net, but, you know, he's shooting, which I think is what they need him to do on that power play. Before, he was a little bit, I don't know, just roaming around too much. He had the puck a little too much, and it just wasn't doing anything. They weren't getting any chances. But at the end of the day, still no production, and allowing a goal shorthanded was the difference in this game. Yeah, I think – we're seeing the the youth in, in Rasmus Sandin, and, and that was something that we saw, I think, on both goals today where he just got kind of blown by in, in a speed transition game. And, I mean, the Josh Anderson goal towards the end of the first period, he, the, the dude is just a Leaf killer. He, he loves talking about the Leafs, and he loves scoring against the Leafs, so you can't even fault him for, for all the st- crap he talks about them. But, and then we thought, the, we thought the, that was Riley Nash. We thought Riley Nash was the Leaf killer. Eliminated him in, what, three straight playoffs? We're like, yeah. Let's go. Let's go trade for this guy. And all along, it was Josh Anderson. Yeah, man. He just he <laughs> loves talking about the Leafs. It's it's so funny seeing him talk about the Leafs and how much he hates them. And and then he just backs it up every time. So you can't even like make fun of him for it. But and and then like the goal late where Byron just outmanned him. He just outmuscled him and got by him and and scored the shorthanded goal. Probably the best goal Byron's ever scored in his career. It was a beauty. And I mean, credit to the Habs. They were able to kind of muck the game down to the way they want to play. And, and they didn't let the Leafs play that high-speed transition game that they love playing. And, I mean, you, you look at the, the players that were at the best today, and I, I think Nylander had a really good game. I think 
Matthews had a good game, but there was just no finish outside of the one goal. And, and that was just the garbage little goal from the side of the net. What do you think was the cause for the low event hockey? Like clearly that is, that works to the benefit of Montreal. That's the type of gameplay that they wanted. Do you think that that was just like Montreal really like by design going out there and, and did a really good job um, of, of working their game plan? Or do you think that just, this game and, and, and Tavares was always kind of in the back of their thoughts and they weren't able to kind of regroup fully. And maybe that was the reasoning why this game was so low event and, and uneventful and, and worked to Montreal's benefit. I, I think it definitely did weigh, especially towards the end of the first period. Like we, we saw them kind of get filled in a little bit by the Habs then, but I think they were not, not necessarily able to get over it, but they were able to kind of, Worked their way back into the game. Like I said, they, they did really do, do a good job of carrying play in the second period, working the puck up the ice and getting some shots on net. That was their most high danger period. It was their, their best period overall, but they, they just didn't seem to be able to kind of keep that going towards the, the third period. And, and then Montreal, to their credit, they just played that good physical game where they're just able to grind the pucks out along the walls and, and do what they do. And I mean, the Leafs, to their credit, they've, they've gotten better in those areas and stuff, but they're still not the best team. They're still the best team when they're out in the open ice and they're out using the skill they have because, yes, they've added those elements and they're capable of playing those games, but they don't win all those games. When they're playing in the open ice, they win all those games. 55 hits tonight for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, one of two things. either that, like that, That's a big number. Out, out hitting them 55 to 27. Um, so the mm-hmm. Canadiens really, really upping the physicality did you feel that Toronto did a good job withstanding that? Or is that something that, you know, was this was a concern a little bit, or it has been over the last couple of seasons, and they thought they added enough sandpaper to combat that type of physicality in the playoffs. Um, did it concern you at all tonight, and do you think it affected the way that the game played out? Or do you think that this is just a, a one-off and something that Toronto should be able to kind of combat moving forward? I think it's mostly a one-off. I'm, I'm not too worried about it in, in the grand scheme of things. I think this is a, a series where I, I think we all knew Carey Price was at least going to have one really, really good game. And, and that's what Carey Price does at this point in his career. He has uh, a game or two that are really good or maybe even a series. And, and we watched him do that to Pittsburgh last year. And we watched him play really well against Philadelphia as well. And he, he's still capable of doing that. Can he do that against a high-powered team like Toronto for a whole series? Because you know Toronto's going to get their chances. Montreal's a good team. Credit to them for being in the playoffs and everything. But Toronto is the best team in the North Division for a reason. And, and I think we're going to see them eventually kind of break out of this, this – I don't even want to say slump because they, they, they did outshoot them. They out, outchanced them for most of the night. And they, they did a really good job of controlling the pace of play. Jack, the, Jack Campbell played good as well. Like I, I'm not worried. There was nothing I came away from this game outside of Tavares that I was worried about necessarily. So I, I, I have full faith that they're going to be fine going forward. One thing that I am worried about, um, they took three puck over the glass penalties. And then there was yeah. another pretty bad penalty that Spezza took late in the game too. So uncharacteristic penalties, that's something that definitely is going to have to get cleaned up before next game. Like three puck over the glass penalties. Like, are you kidding me? In the playoffs, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, William Nylander was inside the penalty box for, I think, like the third or fourth time this entire year. Like the, the, like you said, they're just weirdly uncharacteristic penalties. Um, they're not one of the higher teams in the league at taking those penalties. I saw a stat earlier where they're fairly, like, just slightly below league average at taking those puck over glass penalties, the needless penalties that you don't 
that don't really do anything to benefit you. So why even bother taking them? So it, it's not something I'm worried about moving forward, but it, it was one of those things where like, it just continued to play into that random, the Leafs are in the playoffs and they're playing Montreal and their captain gets hurt. And then of course they blow the game and, and that's just kind of the Leafs playoff history. So yeah. it, it's something that I'm not too worried about though. in, in reality, Luckily, the penalty kill was pretty darn good tonight. A perfect uh, five for five. Um, what did you think of the newcomer, Riley Nash's game tonight? I thought he was really good on the penalty kill. Uh, if you can just play him on the penalty kill all night, I'd love that. Like, he, he was great there. Um, five on five, there were some issues, I thought. Like, his defensive game wasn't quite to where it's been in the past. And it's his first game back, so you can't really expect him to be able to do what, what he's done in the past where he can go up against those top six lines and, and really – win the battle or at least keep the battle even where he's not giving up a bunch of chances and like he did tonight. But no, on the penalty kill, I thought he did exactly what he was advertised to do. He's an aggressive penalty killer. He plays with a little bit of speed. He's smart. He cuts off lanes really well. Uh, there, there was twice on, on the, on the very last penalty kill where he almost sprung himself for a, a breakaway shorthanded. And, and I think that's kind of the, the player that we're getting it. He's a really good penalty killer. You got to shelter him at five on five until he gets his legs going though. I think. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind him. Um, definitely was, was a lot better in like a, a defensive penalty killing role for sure, which which that that's what he is, right? That's yeah, what yeah. he has made a career of. And uh, I thought that he was, you know, he didn't look at a place, he didn't make many mistakes uh, on the penalty kill. Um, I didn't notice him as much either, like at five on five. Didn't play too much. I think uh, we played like 10 minutes, 10, yeah. 21, but played three of those minutes at shorthanded. So, barely had much time um at five on five just going back to to Tavares a little bit before we we kind of go through our three starts of the game and wrap this thing up but you know the 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 next question I guess going into into next game you know who's the guy who you think the Leafs need to lead on or or who's the guy who needs to step up in his absence what what's the lineup going to look like for you uh next game if Tavares can't go which is like a all likelihood not going to be ready to go uh, in this game. Hopefully he can return at some point, obviously, but it's unlikely for next game. So who's that guy who you think uh, is going to have to step up and, and might get that second line center duty? It's going to be interesting. I think Kerfoot's going to probably get a shot. I think my opinion, since I started thinking about this after the injury and I kind of got past the injury and everything was, why not put Spets up the lineup a little bit? Give him a little yeah. bit more responsibility. He's been scoring at a great rate. He's been playing extremely well. Like, give him a little bit of an elevated role. You put him on the third line center, kind of split him and Nash on the third line, and you get that. But I think Kerfoot's going to have to step up. I think Nash is going to be in the lineup for, for a while now. And I, I think maybe even we see Pierre Engvall get in the lineup, maybe. It's going to be interesting to see because I think Galchenyuk's coming back in the lineup. I think he... he you you missed him him in the lineup today, giving that a little bit of offensive punch, because it's not like you needed a defensive game this game. It wasn't like Montreal caved you in or anything. I think having him in the lineup would be beneficial in that sense. And I I don't know, man. Thornton wasn't great today, so I think you gotta at least consider swapping him and Angball for a game or something. But it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because down the middle you got Matthews, Kerfoot, Nash, Spezza. You maybe put Felino. We've talked about him before there. Or, Maybe you put, I don't know, Engvall at center on the third line or something because he's had success there before. But I think it's going to be one of those things where we're going to have a game or two where I'm not going to be shocked to see if uh, Keith's 
throwing guys in and out of the lineup and, and moving things around beyond that top line. Yeah, if if what whatever he decides to do, like right off the opening draw, whatever we see in the line rushes in game in game two, if it's not working through the first five minutes and they're not generating much, like Keith has been known to to toss the lines in a blender, and I would assume if that top line would probably stay pretty intact, Hyman, Matthews, and Marner. But outside of that, uh, I wouldn't you know put it past him if he tries out Kerfoot and and they're just not clicking, nothing sparking. All right. Let's see what uh, let's see what um, uh, Jason Spezza can do. If nothing happens, maybe they try and move Willie into the middle. I know that didn't work out quite well uh, last year when they tried that, but I mean, it gets thin after like once an injury occurs to that top six, those top two centers with Tavares and Matthews, it gets really thin down the middle for the Maple Leafs. Something you mentioned there about Hyman, Matthews, Marner, and, and that that was the top line today. And I thought I thought. Hyman had an okay game. Like it wasn't his best game, but he, again, coming back from an injury that is probably maybe not a hundred percent from yet, but played it's like one of those things where I'm like, minutes. <laughs> yeah, he played forever tonight. Like he always yeah. does. Right. And, but one of the things you mentioned there was, I, I think maybe you put Mar- Hyman on that second line. This is that situation where we talked about earlier in the year, where maybe you move Hyman to that second line with Kerfoot and Nylander. You put Galchenyuk with Matthews and Marner because he's had success there before. And, and you let Hyman be a little bit more of that play driver. Him and Nylander can drive that line and Kerfoot's just there to be a capable puck mover. And I think you could maybe find success that way with, with Kerfoot there because he's not going to be the one that's necessarily going to have to take the load of the offense on. He's not going to be the one that has to take a load of the transition game even necessarily on with those two in the ice. And he's going to be able to use his speed in that sense. So I, I think that could be a, a decent little switch up by putting Galchenik on that top line if you get him back in the lineup. And, and you move Hyman to that Nylander line because they've, they've had some success before together. And then I assume, what, Felino goes down to, to the third line, I guess? So you'd have Felino, Nash, and Mikheyev? Yeah, Flynn and Nash Mikheyev, and then, uh, yeah, it's not the, the most inspiring line, but hopefully that line could be a complete shutdown line because they're three good defensive players, right? And, right. and then, then you have that fourth line of the old guys or you put Engball in there for one of them. I think maybe even you, you move Spets up to that third line, Felino, Spets, and Mikheyev, and then you have Nash on the fourth line. Like, I, I think it's going to be a, a bit of switching around throughout the game, but it's going to be interesting to see what Keith does. Yeah, well, I guess I guess we'll have to see what uh, what ends up unfolding. We'll see what the lineups look like tomorrow in practice. I guess that'll give us kind of our first indication on what exactly we will see. Uh, all right, let's get to the three stars of this game. Um, well, I'll let you start. Who was your third star? All right, I'm going to give it to him because people aren't going to give him enough credit, and, and we know if Freddie was in the net, this game might not have been as, as close. But I, I think Jack Campbell deserves some credit. He had a really good game. The shorthanded goal you probably want back because it was the, the nicest goal to let in. But, I mean, he came in and he did exactly what every Leafs fan wanted him to do in the playoffs. He let in two goals, didn't let in anything ba- too, too bad in, and it, it wasn't like he was the reason you lost the game. So I think he, he deserves a ton of credit for being able to come in and not be a storyline in this game, I think is a big deal for him. Yeah. I I actually, I I did really like Campbell's game. He didn't have to make like a lot of, of like high danger saves, but you know, 30 shots on goal stopped 28 of them. Um, And and the two that he allowed were, you know, like breakaways, pretty good opportunities. They weren't soft goals by any means. So I I didn't have an issue with, with Campbell's game at all. Um, for me, I had, uh, William Nylander as my third star of the game. I, I felt that Nylander was probably the best more so in the like first two periods, maybe, but still, I thought Nylander was actually the best Maple Leaf out there on the ice. I thought he was 
forechecking really well. He was shooting the puck. Um, you know, he was finding some good spaces and, and making some plays, scored uh, the, the Leafs' lone goal there, just going right to the, the dirty areas, getting right to the net and, and pouncing on a rebound. I felt that he had a pretty good all-around game tonight, which, you know, when Willie's playing, you know, an all-around 200-foot-ish game, like, he's a really, really talented player. And I think we sometimes forget how talented he really is because, like, guys like Marner and Matthews are, are on this team. But, you know, Nylander, he's, like, can also be a top echelon player. Yeah, on most teams, he's a surefire first-line guy. Yeah. And I think a, we, a lot of Lee fans forget about that. And this is a guy that scored 30 goals. And he was he was definitely in consideration for my third star. I, I, I feel like I'm always trying to wedge Willie into the stars. So I figured I, I'd give him a break this time around. But, yeah, no, he had a great game. I think you, you saw some physicality from him, which is something we never, never see from Willie, which was nice to see. And, I mean, I love seeing the guy play well because when he's playing well, he, he really is one of those special upper echelon players in the league. Uh, who do you have as your second star? Oh, I got to give it to the Leaf Killer, Josh Anderson. I, I, I can't wait till tomorrow when he talks a bunch of trash about Toronto and he just does what he does, and then he comes out and he scores another goal in game two. It's, this guy, he just loves playing the Leafs. He loves talking about the Leafs. I mean, he's basically a Leafs fan. I have the exact same second star, Josh Anderson. You hate to do it, but uh, – you know, he was, he was a dominating force out there. He really has been since game one of the regular season. He went out there and he scored, what, I think two goals in the opening game uh, yeah. of the season between these two. So, you know, he's been dominating Toronto all year long, and he's just such a big, monstrous human. And, you know, out there just dominating and dominating this team. What did he finish with? Uh, only three hits. It seemed like he had a lot more than three hits. But, uh, yeah, I thought that Josh Anderson um, – was just uh, phenomenal uh, tonight. Uh, all right, first star of the game, I think it was Carey Price. I think it's safe to say, yeah. It was Carey Price. Yeah. Like, Carey Price. You knew that he was going to steal one game. I wasn't expecting him to steal game one, especially after not playing for about a month and then not playing particularly well in his one AHL conditioning stints either. Like I'd pretty, he lost to the Marlies like earlier this week. Did he not? If, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I, I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't too concerned about Carey Price going into tonight's game, but boy, was I wrong. Like he was, he was on top of it and, and he was making some real key stops at some key moments. Um, I mean, this game could have been like four, one, four, two for sure. But uh, Carey Price kind of turned the clock back, looked a little vintage Carey. And uh, hopefully, for the Maple Leafs' sake, that's, that's the one that he had in him. Hopefully, it was just the one game that he had in him. Because if this is going to be Carey Price the rest of the way, Maple Leafs might be in a little bit of trouble. A little bit. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? You, you, you kind of got to look at Carey Price and what he is now and, and what he was years ago. And, and like I said, at the start of the podcast, like he's got this in him every once in a while where he can go three or four games in a row where he's really, really dominant. And the th big thing with him this year is, is he going to be able to do that against such a high powered team like the Leafs? I mean, losing to Ferris is a big blow, but you're able to bring in guys that, that have some offensive talent and, and let them play. And I mean, Austin Matthews, yeah. Mitch Marner, William Nylander, there's still three of the best players in the NHL at the end of the day. I mean, Zach Hyman's back. He's, a guy you can't really forget about. Like you look at some of the Dom decision from the athletics, some of his 
uh, statistics and game score and stuff. And Zach Hyman ranks right up there with the best players on the Habs and Josh Anderson and guys like that. So you look at it and you go, the Leafs have everything on paper to come out of this series. And, and I think Carey Price, I mean, to his credit, tonight he was fantastic and, and kudos to him. And if he can be this way for the rest of the series, then yeah, like you said, the Leafs are out of, in trouble. But I think it's going to be tough for him to be this good for, for six or seven games. What do Leafs need to do heading into game two to even this series before heading out to Montreal? I think they just need to play their game. I think the first five minutes of the game, they need to push the pace. Play If you need to, back to get get your top six in there. For, roll, roll them twice out there before you even get the bottom six going and, and get those guys pushing the pace early. I think the Leafs need to set that tone. And, and even if they don't score, I think they need to start generating chances right off the bat. And if they can do that, I think they'll be able to kind of pull it out by the end of the game. Yeah, I think uh, they definitely need to. Well, I, I still feel that the, the Tavares injury kind of took this team, uh, took the the wind out of the sails, definitely through the first period. But I think also just like the whole game in general, they didn't play their style. They they let the the, the Habs dictate the game. It was physical. It was low event. Um, I think they definitely are going to need to get themselves into the high danger areas, get a lot more opportunities and, and make life harder for Carey Price, get to the net. I know it's difficult when you got guys like Edmondson and Sherratt and, and Shea Weber chopping trees out there, but you know, that's kind of the way that, that you got to get to get to price, get up in his kitchen. So if they got guys now like Wayne Simmons and, and Nick Foligno who, who can do that, who can withstand those net front battles, I think those got to be a little more present in, uh, in, in um, Saturday's game. And then the transition game was not very good tonight. I think they certainly need to do something to, to change that up for sure. Yeah, I think the, you mentioned the transition game there, and it's something I was going to mention earlier, but I didn't get a chance to, was that William Nylander didn't play all that much in this game, it, it, as odd as it sounds, because every time he was on the ice, he was doing something good, it seemed. Um, he only played about 13 minutes in this one, and, and you look and you go, man, like you get him out there more. He's one of the best transition players in the league. Like You think of guys like him, Nick Ehlers, um, Philip Forsberg, like there's some of the most elite puck carriers in the game, and he wasn't out there for a lot of the night and, and they struggled in that, that aspect of the game. Maybe you get him out there a little bit more and you get him kind of into the game because he had a great game tonight. Like if he's going to continue playing like this, I, I think you got to start riding him even more because he's definitely going to be that guy as, that's the catalyst on the second line. Now that Tavares is out. One last question for you. Uh, and this is a, a kind of a lineup related question. So put your Sheldon Keefe style hat on. Um, you said earlier that you did not like, Sandine's game too much tonight or you know he made some some key mistakes um do you go back with him for game two or uh is that something where you look into maybe swapping him out for for Dermot or Ben Hutton I look at it and I go, okay, you talk to him after the game, you see where his head's at. If his, if if you think he's in a good spot, I think you put him in for the one more game. If he has another bad game, if he has another game where he looks like he's struggling in tra- to defend transition, then yeah, I think that's when you got to start to consider bringing Travis Dermott in because that's exactly what Travis Dermott does extremely well is defend transition. So if that's going to be the one the one area that burns you, then then yeah, you bring Dermott in. But I think you got to give him at least one more game. I'm, I'm generally a lot more patient with younger players than uh, a lot of NHL coaches are. So I won't be shocked to see Dermot in, but I, I think you give him one more game because even if you do lose one more game, you're not really out of the series. I think Toronto's a good enough team that they can come back from a 2-0 deficit if they need to. I'd prefer not to, but I think they can if they have to. 
A dash two, though. It's not a great, uh, not a great one when the team only scores two goals on the night. I can say that. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Maple Leafs falling to the Montreal Canadiens two to one in game one. Game two going down Saturday night. Toronto definitely looking for a bounce back performance. That's to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You could subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. And trust me, you're not going to want to forget about Locked On Leafs, especially this time of year. It's the playoffs. You want that daily content. So make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Leafs. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. And follow Tony at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. And hey, Tony, you uh, you writing anything uh, recently or anything upcoming that you want to plug? Uh, I'll plug the one thing I got going out tomorrow. It's a, it's a goofy little mock draft I did on DauberProspects.com. It's an all-vibes mock draft. So the analysis is uh, not the greatest analysis. It's just it's all vibes. I, I, didn't even, I just wanted to have some fun. I figured it'd be something fun to put out. And uh, from the few people I've shown it to and gotten some feedback on, they, they seem to like it. So definitely check that out. Who is the vibiest player in the upcoming draft? Oh, the vibiest. Scott Morrow's the guy, I think. Like, <laughs> when I'm talking to that kid, like, I, I loved it. Like, I asked him about it, whether or not he follows NHL draft rankings, and he goes, oh, I can't really. And I'm like, well, why is that? And he goes, because every time I see I'm not number one, I, I get really upset, and I, I want to make sure I can get up to number one. And, like, this is a U.S. high school kid. Like, there's very little chance he would be a, a number one contender prospect. But, I mean, the confidence on this kid, the vibe, like, uh, he's just such a fun player. And I, I tried to vibe off the teams a little bit, take on some of their their uh, persona and, and make some th- stuff up and, and just had some fun with it. That's awesome. Um, should be a fun article tomorrow. Go check it out, guys, on Dauber Prospects. Tony, once again, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Uh, it's a blast as always. It was good to get you back on. You took a little bit of a few week hiatus on us as yeah. the season uh, came to an end, but it's the playoffs. We mean business. So we had to get you right back here on the pod. Uh, So once again, man, thanks for joining me. Anytime, buddy. Uh, All right. Game two going down Saturday night in Toronto. Uh, You know what time puck drop is that? Is that at 7.30 again? 8 o'clock maybe? I'm going to have to quickly check that out. It is at 7. 7 o'clock puck drop Saturday night. So make sure you are watching it. Um, Go Leafs, go. Enjoy the game. I'll be back with another episode on Monday. I'll be, well, talking about game two, recapping all the good things, and hopefully, unlike tonight, we're recapping a W. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.